God is so faithful. We've been talking about Jacob on Sunday mornings and how God has been faithfully with him. Never once did Jacob walk alone. Never once do you walk alone. God is faithful. And uh, we have been talking about developing our testimony that God is at work in our lives. The Bible says that God uh, established a testimony in Jacob. And uh, that is what God is doing in your life. He's establishing your testimony. And your testimony is more than just the story of how you came to know Christ. That's where it begins. Your testimony is what you do every day, how you live your life, how you respond to every situation that you face. So we talked about where Jacob's testimony began. He began as a grasper, selfish, just like we all begin. Selfish, sinful people. Then Jacob made a vow. He made a covenant, a commitment to God because God pursued a relationship with Jacob. And Jacob responded by faith and committed his heart and life to Jesus Christ. And uh, we also talked about how Jacob's a struggler. Like we all struggle, even though we commit our lives to Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean life is a piece of pie the rest of your days. We still struggle as Christians, and Jacob struggled with fear and doubt, and, and he struggled in his faith, and we all have those similar struggles. And last week, we began talking about another step in Jacob's spiritual journey, and that is that through Jacob's struggles, that he learned that God is faithful, God is good, God is worthy of worship. So Jacob moved from being just a struggler to being a worshiper. And we started learning some basic truths of what worship is all about from the story of Jacob we find in Genesis 35. So uh, we're going to pick up where we left off, but I do want us to read this passage of Scripture again this morning. So if you'll stand with me to honor the Lord and His Word as we read Genesis 35, 1 through 15. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves, and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress. And has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands, and the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terebinth, the, I'm sorry, the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried below Bethel under the terebinth tree. So the name of it was called Alan Bakuth. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aran and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Also God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. Nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you, 
and your descendants after you I give this land. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him, Bethel. Let's pray together. God, take your word and please show it to us today. Holy Spirit, you are the one who inspired it, and I pray that you would inspire us to understand it. And Lord, even more than that, to apply it to our lives today. And Lord, the rest of our lives. Thank you, Lord, for the hearers that are here. Help us to be doers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Last week we talked about three things. Worship is based on our relationship with God. In other words, in verse 1, Jacob already uh, had a relationship with God. He, God came to him and said, make an altar to me. I appeared to you. So was, our worship's based upon our previous commitment to Christ. Last week we talked about how worship comes from pure hearts and pure lives. Jacob told them to put away the foreign gods and to purify themselves. And that's what we have to do in order to truly worship God, not just on Sundays, but every day as we put away the things that uh, other things that we put first in our lives. We put away the sin and the things that so easily distract us and uh, we purify ourselves. We also talked about how worship flows out of gratefulness for God's work in our life in verse 3. And Jacob was expressing how God had already been with him in the way that he had gone. He had seen that he was never alone. God was with him, and God was faithful, and uh, he was grateful. He was expressing that to the Lord in, in worship. Now, today I want to cover four things. First of all, worship is both personal and corporate. And look, if, if you would, at verse 2. Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves, and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to the Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. Now look at verse 6. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, and he and all the people who were with him. So we see in verse 9, earlier when we read that, in verse 14 and 15, that Jacob had some personal experiences with God. He worshiped God privately, personally. And I hope you understand that what happens here is really just an overflow of what's already been happening in your own heart throughout the week. <clears throat> that you're not just coming here to, uh, this is your only day of worship. You know, your worship should be happening routinely. Your worship should be happening daily, personally, between you and God. That you're having some personal experiences. Now, there are some people who say, that's all I need. All I need is some personal worship time. I don't need the body of Christ. I don't need to come to church in order to worship. No, you don't have to come to church to worship. But make sure you use the right word. Yes, you do need to come to church. You may not have to come to church to worship because you can worship personally and privately, and you should be, but yes, you do need to come. There's a need that God's put in your heart as a believer to be with other believers. And if you're not worshiping with other believers, and I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here, but you can pass this on to those who aren't here. If you're not worshiping with other believers, then you're missing a vital component of your Christian experience. 
In fact, if you say, if people say, well, you know, I don't have to come together with other believers to worship the Lord, and I can live a successful Christian life, I'll call you a liar, because you can't. You just can't do it. It's impossible. That's not how God designed you. First of all, the Bible says Jesus loved the church, and he gave himself for her, right? Are you the church? Are you perfect? No. But, but Jesus still loves you, right? And he still meets with us, right? Now, let's say I, I think, well, I don't need to come to church. I'll give you a little example. Anybody ever built a fire? You ever notice that when the wood burns down and there's these, this pile of hot coals? And uh, they're just glowing red. There's not really much of a flame. There may be, but it's just glowing red. Now, suppose you took a pair of tongs and you took a coal out of that fire and you set it off over here to the side. What would happen to that coal? It would go out, right? It would grow cold and dim and go out. But let's suppose you take that same coal with the tongs, you pick it up and you put it back in the fire. What's going to happen to that coal? It's going to reignite. And some people are like that coal. They've taken themselves out of the fire, out of the body of Christ, and they've grown cold and dim. And that's what happens. You do need to worship corporately. You need the body of Christ. The Bible says in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, Paul, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Paul said on the first day of the week, the disciples came together to break bread. We, we do it on Sunday. Sunday is not the last day of the week. You know, Sunday's not the weekend. Did y'all know that? <coughs> Sunday's not the weekend. Some people treat Sunday like the weekend. It's not the weekend. It's the week beginning. This is the first day of the week. And uh, we set aside the first day of the week, mainly because it's the day Christ was resurrected. But also there's a significance in setting aside the first day of the week as the first part of your week you're giving to the Lord. It's like a tenth of your time or a tithe of your time to worship the Lord. They gather on the first day of the week in the book of Acts. Hebrews 10.25 tells us to... Uh, not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. And he said, we, as we see the day approaching, what, that is, what day? That's the day of Christ's return. The closer we get to that, the darker times are going to get. The more difficult things are going to become in this world. And we're going to need each other more and more and more. And so the closer we get to that time, we need to be gathering and making sure that we're gathering together like we ought to be. So don't forsake the assembling of yourself. So worship is personal, but it's also corporate. And yes, we all need both. It's not either or, it's both and. And uh, we need each other, amen? And you're here, and I'm glad you're here. Worship centers, the next thing I want you to notice in this passage in, in verse 7, worship centers on God alone. It says Jacob built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, which means El, God, Bethel, Beit El, Beit is house of God, Bethel, so it's El, God, Beth, house, El, God, house, it's God of the house of God. So Jacob didn't build an altar and just call it Bethel, he built an altar and called it El, Bethel, God of the house of God. And that's very significant because it teaches us the object of our worship. The object of our worship is God. 
It's not the house of God. Yes, we do gather in the church, buildings, but still God is our focus. He is our center. The Bible says in Psalm 68:35 that uh, God is more awesome than his holy places. And I told you that story not, not just too long ago about being in Israel and seeing the great holy places where Jesus walked and the great things that you see there and you just are overcome and you're just overwhelmed and, and you're wowed. It's like the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, look at this temple. Look how great it is. And, and Jesus said, hey, there's coming a day real soon where not one stone will be left on top of another of these temples. And, you know, God, it was when God showed me that verse after I get back from Israel, hey, I'm more awesome than those holy places. I'm more awesome than my holy land. It's me. It's about me. I make that land holy. I make this place holy. I make your life holy. It's all about me. And that's what Jacob was saying here. It is God of the house of God. He is to be the primary focus. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus was tempted by the devil. You remember out in the wilderness. And the devil showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Showed him all the great things. And we've been to some of those kingdoms, maybe. You've been to some of those places. And you've seen some magnificent scenery and maybe uh, buildings and such that you were just, you're just awed by and wowed by. And that's what Satan showed him. But he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, I'll give these to you if you bow down and worship me. And that's when Jesus said, it is written. And he was quoting from the Ten Commandments. You will worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you worship. So you see, worship is all about God. It's got to be focused on, centered on, directed to God. We have an audience of one. When Brian and the choir up here singing, the instrumentalists are playing, they're not playing for you. Do you know that? Hate to pop your bubble. It ain't about you. Is it, Brian? Who's it for? Amen. They're playing for God. And if you think they're playing for you, your mindset's wrong. They're playing for God. And who are you singing to? You're singing because Brian wants you to sing? Are you singing because uh, your neighbor, you want to make sure your neighbor hears that you're singing? Maybe you go, I'm not going to sing because I don't want my neighbor to hear me singing. <laughs> but you know, the Bible says make a joyful noise unto the neighbor or unto the Lord. So our worship is directed to Him. Our singing is directed to Him. Our praying is directed to Him. Our giving is directed to Him. It's all about God. Remember in John chapter 4, Jesus met the woman at the well. And um, she had been, you know her story. Jesus was introducing Himself to her, and she finally figured out. She said, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Well, you know, <clears throat> all He... all. They did was exchange words over a, a water pot, and uh, Jesus told her her life history. Said, uh, you've had five husbands, you're living with a man who's not your husband. She goes, oh, you must be a prophet. Now, that's one of those duh moments. How did he know that about her? Well, because he's Jesus, he's God. And she says, I perceive you're a prophet. Well, she goes into this really religious topic. She, you know, kind of how what people do when they meet preachers. <clears throat> oh, well, let me tell you about the last time I went to church. Anyway, I'm just joking. But uh, she goes, well, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers 
worshipped in this mountain. And you Jews say that we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. Jesus said, woman, believe me, the hour's coming when you will neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. What was Jesus saying? It ain't, and I know ain't ain't right, but I still like to use it. It ain't about the place. And he said, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So worship must center on God. Not the place. Not your surroundings. And we see that picture in heaven in Revelation chapter 4, where all of creation, all the saints and angels and beings in heaven, sing a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And there's a song before that one, and then there's another song after that one where all of heaven is lifting up their voices. And John the Revelator, John the Apostle, is the one that this is being revealed to, and he's the one that's writing this down and recording it. And he's getting to witness it. He's getting to see it take place in his present, but something that's happening in the future. But still, John didn't quite grasp it, just like you and I. Because later in the book of Revelation, in chapter 19, it says an angel appeared to him and began to reveal other things to him. And John said, I fell at his feet to worship him. And it happened again in, in chapter 22, in the very last chapter of Revelation, that again, <coughs> it says that he heard this angel, this angel came and spoke to him. And he said, I fell down, I bowed down to worship before the feet of this angel who showed me these things. And both times, the angel said, do not do that. He said, I am your fellow servant. Worship God, for he is the testimony of Jesus. Sometimes we forget. Just like John. Even though John got to see great things. Got to see, I mean, just imagine. John was on the Mount of Transfiguration. John got to see Jesus transfigured before him. He was the one uh, among, with Peter and James, who when uh, Peter said, let's build three tabernacles here, and let's, it's good for us to be here. And, and uh, they were enamored by the presence of Moses and Elijah. And then a voice was heard from heaven. And that voice said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. In other words, it's not about Moses and Elijah, it's about Jesus. But John was a part of that. And then John gets to see all this in Revelation take place at, that's coming, that's going to be taking place. You would think that if he had seen all that, then he would understand what worship's all about. Wouldn't you think so? But he dropped the ball two times. Why? Because John's just like you and me, he's not perfect. We forget, and that's why I'm reminding you. 
we forget that this ain't just where worship happens. We forget that when we're singing, we're not just singing to join the chorus, that it's, it's to God. We, we've got to force ourselves sometimes to concentrate on our worship and to focus it directly to Him and to think about Him and to block out everything else, the place, the people, everything. It's not about Moses and Elijah. It's not about my neighbor. It's not about my spouse. It's about me and God. I'm standing right here, just me and God. That's why people have trouble praying aloud because they're worried about people around them. They forget it's me and God. Me and God. Worship's got to center on God alone. Jacob said it's God of the house of God. Worship involves also, back in our text in Genesis 35, it involves hearing, obeying, and changing by God's word. If you go back and look at verses 10 through 12, you see Jacob heard some things from God. Jacob heard God say, your name's Jacob, your name shall no longer be Jacob, your name will be Israel. God said, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from you. So Jacob's hearing God speak, just like you're hearing God speak today. Every time you open the Bible, every time the message is proclaimed, in any form or fashion, you're hearing from God. Hearing is a part of worship. But so is obeying. In verse 1, we see God said something to Jacob. He heard God say something. He heard God say, Arise, go to Bethel and dwell there. And he heard God say, Make an altar there to God who appeared to you. And then we see in verse 7 that that's exactly what he did. He built an altar there and he called the place El Bethel. So we see, God, we see Jacob hearing as a part of his worship. And now we see Jacob obeying as a part of a worship. Would, would others see that in you? Does God see that in you? I mean, just because you showed up here doesn't mean you're obeying the Lord. You know, this isn't your last step of obedience. This, this is really just the first step every week. The first day of the week, this is your first step. I'm here today. I'm hearing the word of God. I've opened my mouth to praise him. Now what's your next step? It's actually becoming a doer of the word and not a hearer only. That's in James 1. We deceive ourselves, he says. He says we're to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save our souls. He said we're to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only, deceiving ourselves. How would we deceive ourselves? Well, we always call the devil the deceiver, and indeed he is, but we can deceive ourselves because we can think, well, I went to church today. I heard a message today. I, I, I sang the songs today, so therefore I worshiped, and, and, and I've obeyed the Lord today, and then I can go out and just do what I want to do. I don't necessarily have to think about God, and we don't consciously think those things, but sometimes that's the way our life is lived out. We may not consciously admit those things or, or say those things, but the pattern of our life lives those kinds of things out. I showed up today for worship. I obeyed the Lord. The rest of the week's mine. And we forget that worship's not just about showing up and hearing. It's about obeying. And it's about changing. Jacob was not the same when he encountered God. You remember we talked about the struggle? And remember the struggle left him changed forever? That, that angel touched the his hip socket, and forever he walked with a limp. Forever he had to remember his encounter with God. When we encounter God, when we worship God, and when we hear the word of God, it ought to be changing our lives. There ought to be something taking place in us that we see over a process of time that I'm not the same that I was last year or five years ago. I've grown some. I've grown some. 
And you say, well, I can't remember what you preached last year. Well, let me ask you this. What did you have for lunch last March the 19th? Do you remember that? What did you have for lunch Monday? You don't remember that, do you? But did it nourish you? Huh? Did it keep you going? Did it give you strength to, to keep living life? Yes. So just because you don't remember last year's sermon or last year's quiet time or last year's devotion or, or last week's sermon or last week's quiet time, or last, it nourished you. It gave you spiritual food in which to live. And hopefully that's what's happening. See, Jacob was changed. God changed him. God said, you're no longer Jacob, you're Israel. I'm giving you a new name. You're a new person, you know that? Because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, you're not just that same person that you were born. You've been born again. Jesus Christ has put his name on you. And you have a new identity. And your identity is not based on your past. It's not based on your present. It's not based on your future. It's, it's not based on, on what's happening in your life right now. It's not based on your finances. It's not based on anything. Your identity is found in Jesus Christ. That's who you are. You are a child of God. You are a brother or sister to Jesus Christ. He is your Savior. And he is the one who is at work in you. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount told this parable about two men who built a house, one built on the sand. And the rains came down and the floods came up and the house was washed away. And then another man built his house on the rock and the rains came down and the floods came up and the, and the house stood the test. And he said, that's the man who heard my words and acted accordingly. This man is the one who heard my words he heard the same words that that man did, but he didn't do anything about them. Now listen, your house isn't built on the rock just because you've heard it. Your life isn't built on the rock just because you show up for church on Sunday. Some people say, well, I raised my kids in church. But did you raise them in the Bible in your home? Or did you just bring them to church and you didn't really live it at home? See, bringing your kids to church doesn't mean your house is built on the Word of God. Is your home built on the Word of God? Is your business built on the Word of God? Is your very life built on the Word of God? Is your speech built on the Word of God? Is your thinking built on the Word of God? That's worship. Not just what you do here Sunday morning. Worship, lastly includes an offering. In verse 14, Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him, Bethel. I'm sorry, that was verse 15. Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. Worship involves an offering. Our praise is an offering. Do you know that? It's the sacrifice of our lips, Hebrews tells us. Praise is the sacrifice of our lips. What does that mean? Well, a sacrifice is something you give up for God. Something that you could keep for yourself. <clears throat> you could praise yourself, or you, you could be proud and, and not open your mouth because... You know, you don't want anybody to think, 
you're crazy or you don't want anybody to hear you the way your voice sounds or whatever it may be or you don't want to talk about the Lord out in public because you're afraid. But proclaiming the goodness of God is a sacrifice of our lips. It's also something we give to God we could keep in. You know, there are times, I imagine some of you are like this, even me this morning, struggling physically. <clears throat> you may show up tired, not feeling well, had a terrible week, but you came. You, know, you say, well, I'm going to go, but I'm probably not going to really participate. I'm just going to kind of sit and soak it up. By the way, beware of sitting and soaking. You ever left a sponge on the counter full of the dishwater? You let it sit and soak, it's going to sour. And have you ever had a, used a sour sponge? You can't get the sour out of it. You've got to throw it in the garbage. So beware of just sitting and soaking for too long. But you say, I'm just going to sit and soak. But you leave the same way you showed up. But what if, despite the way you feel, you opened your mouth? And you started talking about the goodness of God with other people. You started joining in the congregational singing as they were singing about God's faithfulness and goodness, love. You know what begins to happen? He begins to work in your heart and in your spirit and even in your soul and body to just lift you. And that's, that's what worship does. It has that element to it. So our praise is an offering. But we also bring tangible offerings. The Bible says that Jacob poured oil out on this altar. That was something that was costly to him. In Exodus chapter 23, in Exodus chapter 34, and Deuteronomy 16, all says the same thing. God told them, he said, none shall appear before me empty. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You know, and sometimes I, I think many people come to worship empty-hearted. Now, again, like I said last week, if you're empty-hearted, come anyway, because worship has a way of filling your heart. God has a way of filling that emptiness in your life. But some people make it a habit to come also empty-handed. You ever hear people say, you know, I didn't get anything out of that service. You know, I, I came empty and I left empty. Well, maybe that's why you left empty, is you came empty. You know, some people come with empty hands. They don't have anything to offer God, but the nature of worship is presenting something to the Lord. It's saying, Lord, if you go back and read the, issues of, or the uh, passages of worship in the Bible, especially the book of Revelation, you see they're offering something to God. In Revelation chapter 4, it says the, the 24 elders, that is the 12 uh, leaders of the, uh, Israel in the Old Testament, the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 apostles in the New Testament, that makes up 24. I believe that's symbolic of all the redeemed, all of the saved of all ages. The 24 elders, I believe, is the redeemed of all the ages. It says that when they worshiped, they fell down before Christ and they cast their crowns before him. Now see, we're working for a crown. And there are many crowns represented in the scripture based upon how we do and live our life. Rewards. So at our worship service, at the heavenly worship service, we take our rewards and, and we have something to present to him. Remember the little drummer boy? All he had was what? His drum. So what did he give the king? A song. 
What do you have to offer? What are you giving to the Lord week after week? Don't come empty-handed. Bring something to give to the Lord. Present an offering to Him. He is worthy. He is worthy. You know what, you know what, I, what hits me over and over again? And it makes me grieve about my own self that I'm going to get to heaven one day and take one look in the face of Jesus. And, I'm, and I know I may not think this, but this is what I think on this side of heaven. I'm going to take one look at the face of Jesus, and I'm going to go, oh, no, I didn't give enough. I didn't serve enough. I didn't devote enough. Oh, Jesus, you're so much more worthy than the poor, pitiful excuse of a life that I live down there. I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want that to happen to you. Bring something to give him here. Present an offering of worship. It's not because somebody needs it. It's because he's worthy of it. He's worthy of it. And if we give because we think somebody needs it, we, we diminish the worth of Christ. Psalm 96, in verse 8, the Bible tells us, Give to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. In Malachi, God rebuked Israel. He said, because a son honors his father, a servant his master. He said, if then I'm your father, where's my honor? If I'm your master, where's my reverence? You know, what I hear God saying in that verse is this to me and to us. If God is really our God and Jesus is really our Lord, and if he's really done all that we say he's done for us, and I don't bring anything to give back to him, I'm saying he's not really that big of a deal to me. But yet, I'm going to make sure the government gets 40% of my income, 30% of my income, because I don't want to go to jail. I, I, I've got to make sure that, that I pay my, my house note or my rent. <coughs> i got to take care of my kids. They're going to college. Or they're getting married. Or they're this and that. i got to make sure they're taken care of. God says, if you know how to honor your father, if you know how to honor your master, where's my honor? We have more respect for our government that we don't even agree with most of the time than we do for God who we love or say we love with all of our heart. Listen, it's time the church of Jesus Christ decide that Jesus is worthy. You know, there are some people who say, well, I ain't going to give no money at church because I don't like the way they're doing things. Well, then first of all, find a new church. Second of all, it ain't about the church. It ain't about the pastor. It ain't about the music program. It ain't about the youth or children's program. Why do we give? Because what? He's worthy. He's worthy. I'm not worthy. Don't give to me. I'm not worthy. That, I should not be your motivation for giving. Don't give to Brian. Don't give to Bobby. Don't give to Dale's ministry. Don't. We're not worthy of that. Jesus is worthy. Now you give according to his worth. Revolutionize your life. Because just as worship 
when you show up empty, I mean, when you show up and Christ, you begin to lift up your voice to the Lord, the Lord fills you up, you leave different than you showed up, you start giving an offering. You start giving your tithe. Malachi 3 says, bring a tithe to the storehouse. And he says, what's going to happen? Just like when you come and you worship and God fills you up, he says, I'm going to pour out for you a blessing that there's not room enough to receive it. I'm going to open the windows of heaven, and you can't build barns big enough to hold it. They say, does that God mean I'm going to be wealthy? No, that's not what God's saying. God's saying is this, I will make sure that you're well taken care of. I'll make sure that you don't go hungry. I'll make sure that you have everything you need. And let me tell you what, I'm a testimony to that. My family's a testimony to that because we have always, always, always tithed over and above our 10% of our income. And God has always, always, always been faithful and true. Always. I cannot outgive God. I dare you to try. Worship includes an offering. You say, where is that in the New Testament preacher? That's Old Testament preaching, all right? It gets tougher in the New Testament. Let's take, for example, Mark 14. Some people think the New Testament's easier. I don't know. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, I think that sounds tougher than the law. The law says, the law says don't commit murder. I can easily not shoot any of y'all. But sometimes I have a little bit of trouble <laughs> not liking some of you. No, I'm teasing. I love all of y'all, really. But, you know, Jesus said, you're angry at your brother with it in your heart. You've committed murder. That's tougher in the New Testament than in the Old Testament. So don't, don't, don't play that card. Jesus said in Luke, in, in Mark 14, we have the story here of the anointing at Bethany. A woman came to Jesus as she sat in the house of Simon with an alabaster flask. Okay, first of all, the container was made of alabaster, very costly container, full of very costly oil. And she broke the flask and she poured the oil on Jesus. She made a costly sacrifice. Man, it caused a stir. Why was this fragrant oil wasted? See, that's what some people think. I'm not giving my money to the Lord. I'm not going to tithe. I'm not going to give to the church. That's wasting my money. There's your problem. You think it's your money. <clears throat> the Bible says it's not. You're just a steward. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But anyway, Jesus said, She's done a good work for me. Leave her alone. I wonder, when's the last time you've done a good work for Jesus with your offering? Done something like that woman did. Took something very precious to you and you poured it out on Christ. See, every now and then, we got to be rattled about what worship really is. And you see, if it's part of our testimony. We're learning. We started out as selfish graspers. 
I hope you've outgrown that. You've got to move from being a selfish grasper to making a commitment of your life, giving your whole life to Jesus Christ. Yes, there will be struggle and difficulty in your life, but that leads you to understand that God is faithful. He will not leave you alone. He loves you. And that leads you to show Him how much He's worth to you by worshiping with all your life, not just one day a week, not just in one place, but coming and giving all that you have day after day to him because he is worth it. Worship and worth come from the same word. How much is Jesus worth to you? How much did he consider you worth this much? And then he died. I owe him my everything. Let's pray together.